and I don't know what your when all else fails is. As a parent, you have to have this, okay? Because you're walking into the restaurant and you don't know whether or not they're going to behave. You said before you became a parent, you were never going to do this. You said you were not going to bribe them, okay? But now you do it and you do it often. You have to do it. If you want them to sit still, I said I was never going to let them be. This is funny now. I said I was never going to let them be on a phone or a tablet uh, in the restaurant. We were all going to enjoy eating as a family together. No, you can look at that thing just as long as you want. That is, um, <laughs> that is just, just don't get your sticky fingers on it if it's dad. So when all else fails, what do you do? I mean, for a lot of us, that's how our faith in Jesus Christ starts out. It starts out with when all else fails. When all else fails, trust Jesus. Now, that's not a bad thing at all. And for a lot of you, you have perhaps tried a lot of other things to fill a void in your life, to find purpose in your life, whatever it might be. And so, but you got to a point where you realized that relationship wasn't cutting it, that addiction wasn't cutting it, whatever it was, that job, it wasn't fulfilling you, whatever it might be. And so you got to a point where when all else fails, I'm going to try the church thing and you found a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know that there are people here today because there are people here like this every single Sunday. Today is your When All Else Fails Sunday. And I want to say welcome to Westridge Church. We've got news today about a God who loves you and who will never fail you. That's what we're here to talk about. That's who we're here to proclaim. To not put the attention on us, but to put all the attention on Him. If you've tried everything else, and you're looking for something or someone that will never fail you, welcome to church. And I pray that you find a relationship with Jesus Christ unlike any other today. I wonder if your relationship with Jesus Christ started like that, where it is now. Is your attitude, is your faith still at a when all else fails, trust Jesus level? And there's nothing wrong with that. Or is it backed up from that? Or is it moved forward? We'll talk about that here in just a moment. Luke chapter 20. I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would. Jesus is, is drawing quite a contrast with what's happening in the day and what he feels like should be happening. I want to tell you today, I'm really excited because I'm speaking on one of my very, very favorite passages in the Bible. It's not the first one we're going to get to. It's the second one. One of my very favorite passages, one of my very favorite people. We don't even know their name. This is in my top five for sure. And so I want you to lean in. I believe God wants to grow us and show us things that perhaps you have not seen from this passage and from the scriptures today before. But look at Luke chapter 20. The very end of Luke chapter 20, verse 45 says this. And in the hearing of all the people, he said to his disciples, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and love greetings in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feast who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive a greater condemnation. Now, let me tell you something right up front. I love about the personality of Jesus. Right up front, it says, so that everybody can hear him. So that all of these church leaders that are walking around, so that all these religious leaders who are walking around in a very pretentious way could hear him, Jesus says this, beware of those guys. Walking around in long robes, what what does that mean? Well, they're just, 
they're dressed up so great, they've got to walk slow so the robe doesn't drag the ground in the first century dust of the Middle East. They're, they're walking around slowly. They're all dressed up. They're dressed in such a way as to draw attention to themselves. They want you to call them by the right name. Many of them, it would be rabbi, which means great one. There's nothing wrong with that. Jesus was a rabbi, but they weren't saying, they weren't looking around for what people would call them. They were demanding that people call them that, refer to them the right way. I remember as a children's pastor in the early days of the church, a little five-year-old girl, cutest little blonde-haired girl came up to me. And like I said, I'm 21, 22 at the time. And her name's Jessica. And she called me Preacher Paul. I loved it. I knew I was in the South and I had honor from a five-year-old girl. Now I didn't say to the children, children, uh, Father Paul is here today or Pastor Paul is here, or Preacher Paul, or the bishop is here today, and I would really like for you to refer to me in a certain way. But rather, she came and she gave me an honorable title. I'll never forget it. It It was such a sweet little moment. But these guys are demanding, call me great one. There were benches in the front of the synagogues for the important people, and those were their seats. And everyone knew that those were their pews. And then there were, when you were eating at a table, there were certain places, the way you got to the table, there were certain places that meant you were very important. I don't know if the head of the table still means something in your house at Thanksgiving and Christmas. Who gets the head of the table? I honestly have to say it didn't really mean a whole lot in my house, but remember it meant something when I was first married because we're having Thanksgiving at our house for the first time and my father-in-law is in the house And my wife, who makes name cards for special occasions, uh, put her dad at the head of the table. And we've been married less than three years, I think, at the time. And I went, no, 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 no. That's my seat, honey. Come on. Move that guy. He can sit in the kitchen if he wants. I don't really care. You know, we're doing much better now, 20 years in, just so you know. But it meant something. But these guys, they have this thing. Give me. I mean, it sounds silly, doesn't it? But these are the religious leaders of the day. Give me the important spot. And then he says... They devour widows' houses. What does that mean? They're manipulating people, challenging people, challenging even those who can't afford it and shouldn't afford it to give specifically to them, not to give to the church, not to give to the kingdom, but to give specifically to their needs. A very pretentious, all about me environment. Jesus says, beware of that place. Beware of those kinds of leaders. And I have to say, the churches that I grew up in were great. The leaders were were very humble. But I have been in environments, and some of you grew up in environments, and some people have stayed out of church, and maybe you're here today, and and you were thinking that you might experience something like this, where perhaps before someone has looked down on you because you were not dressed the right way. Perhaps it was very clear to the people walking in that you're new here. And so they slapped a big orange tag on you. It's kind of a warning to everyone else who might see you and say, hey, that's the new person, just, just so you know. And you're expecting perhaps to come into a religious environment where everyone notices and looks down on the new guy, on the new girl. Jesus says that is not how things should work in my kingdom, but rather my kingdom is one where everyone is welcome, where everyone belongs, and where whosoever will may come. That's the kind of environment I'm trying to create. This hits very close to me. My, I have an uncle. He is, he is the uncle who at the holidays 
tells all the stories that my grandparents wished that he would not tell. Do you have this uncle in your house at your table? He is the one who he self-identifies as the black sheep of the family. And, and he tells stories like the time he didn't want to cut the grass as a teenager, so he set the grass on fire. And those are the kind of, of stories, all right? But he also tells another story that has always stayed with me. He tells a story of being a teenager and loving kind of the motorcycle culture, the Harley culture, and being dressed head to toe in black leather. And he walks into the student room, probably the fellowship hall, you know the one. He walks into the student room and everybody gets quiet. Everybody with their shirts tucked in, their belts on, and their hairs off the ear, they get quiet. And the guy with the black leather walks in, and the person who was the student leader, with everyone else quiet, he pointed him out. And he said, you get out of here, and you come back when you know how to dress in the house of God. And 40 years later, can I tell you something? My uncle has taken that student leader at his word and has not darkened the door of a church since, except for a funeral or two and a Christmas cantata or two. That's it. Jesus says, beware of creating this kind of culture. And he says it loud enough for them to hear, this is not what I have in mind. What a contrast from what he wants and who he is to what the religious leaders of the day had created. And then we get to one of my very favorite stories and one of my very favorite people in all of the scriptures. Luke chapter 21, verses one through four, says this. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, all that she had to live on. All that she had to live on is what she put in. I love this lady. We don't even know her name. Women in the first century had very little rights, very little standing until they got a man. And then once you got a man, or most likely once your father picked out a man for you, you received some standing in the society, in the community. But if he were to die, you would lose that standing. You would lose that place. In fact, you would lose most of your possessions. If you had a son, he would get all of the possessions from your husband. He would be the recipient of the estate. If you had daughters, your sons-in-law would get all of those things. And so to be a widow in the first century was to have absolutely nothing and to be absolutely dependent upon the religious leaders of the day and they do not even see her because they're walking around in their long flowing robes, making sure everyone is paying attention to them, making sure no one takes their seat, making sure that they get all that's coming to them. And Jesus just points out the scene. He says, look, it's, it's offering time. It's time for the gifts to come in. And most people are, are giving out of abundance. And that's a, that's a good thing. Jesus doesn't paint this as, a, as an awful scene. That's a, that's a great thing. And what God has given to us, we should give back to him. But this 
moment is so much more than just about giving. You know, she could have given half, and this would still be an awesome story. She could have given half. I don't know anybody that gives half of what she had to live on. And we, I would still be teaching this story today, and she would still be one of my favorite people, but she gave it all, all that she had to live on. I want you to picture this in your mind. I want you to picture all of those religious leaders thinking about themselves, and here she is, quiet and meek and timid. I want you to picture it to the point. I want you to see what she gave. A few months ago, I was in Israel, and I picked up a few widow's mites. I love these things. Even the appearance of the coin just says, this is not much. The value of the coin is about a half a penny. She gave two of them. All that she had to live on is what she gave. What is she going to eat later that day? I have no idea. Jesus doesn't tell us. Where does she live? Does she have some family to take care of her? I have no idea. Jesus doesn't tell us. Does she own more than the clothes that are on her back? I have no idea. All that I know is that she shows us what it means to move from when all else fails, trust Jesus to because he is the God who never fails, I will trust him. I will give him all that I've got. It's so much more than just giving and generosity. It says, I will trust him when I don't understand. I will trust him when I have nothing left to give. I will trust him when the ground is sure beneath me and everything is calm. And I will trust him when the wind and the waves knock me down because he is the God who never fails. I will trust him. If you have ever stood on the precipice of insurmountable odds, if there's ever been a grief in your life that you don't understand, if there's ever been any overwhelming circumstances, impossible circumstances, then you know what it means to make a choice of either I'm in and I'm trusting in God or I'm going to try to do this on my own. She matures us. Giving and generosity always moves us forward in discipleship. Trusting God always moves us forward in discipleship. It grows us along the journey. And roughly the last 48 hours, I've done two funerals. One was for a child who lived for an hour. The family chose to do a casket no bigger than a shoebox. Child was born a preemie. Couple has had trouble getting pregnant and they took some measures and mom became pregnant with twins and the twins came too early. And the little boy lost his his life after an hour. A little girl still less than two pounds and fighting for her life in an EQ unit. I want to encourage you, if you would, to pray for that little baby. Sarah Marie. Parents are Ethan and Tiana. They were here in the first service. And they're standing on the precipice of insurmountable odds. And they have a choice to make. That no matter what, because he is the God who never fails, I will trust him. I stood to do the service for a man in our church, been in our church for years by the name of Don McKittrick. You'd have loved Don. He's just a great guy, man's man. 
part of a small group in our church, he and his wife, and Don's been fighting cancer and continuing to fight, continuing to fight, just when the cancer seemed to be stabilized, something else, some sort of, something with his heart, something else ends up taking his life. And when you're faced with those moments of incredible grief, of things you don't understand, you have a choice to make. Am I committed to this faith in Jesus Christ where I started one day with when all else fails, trust Jesus, but now life has continued to happen to me and so I am choosing by the grace of God to put my faith in the one whose, whose ways are not my ways, whose thoughts are not my thoughts, but because I know he is the God who never fails, I will trust him. I will trust him. Jeremiah talks about this in Lamentations chapter 3. In Lamentations chapter 3, the first half of it is just not a whole lot of fun to read, so I'm going to just summarize it for you. Jeremiah says, the path that I want to take is blocked. Has your life ever felt like that? He says, the chains on me are heavy. The circumstances on me are heavy. And then I did my own translation for the next part. He says, I feel like I've been shot. I mean, that's what, he's, that's what he's feeling. He feels like he's been wounded. He says, I'm a laughingstock. And to be honest, I'm bitter. I got nothing to eat. I have no peace. I have no strength left. Thank you for coming, Jeremiah. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? I mean, really and truly. Have you ever been there where everything is, is going against you? Nothing is going your way. And listen to what the prophet says. But this I call to mind, Lamentations 3.21. This I call to mind. This gives me hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Jeremiah says what the widow with these two mites shows us. More important than anything I own, more important than my future, more important than what may happen later today, later tonight, God himself is my portion. So I can trust him because he's the God who never fails. It's amazing that she gives these two mites. She just empties her hands because our financial resources are such evidence of how we feel about God. They are, they are the measuring stick of our faith, the regular measuring stick. And Jesus knows this, and he, he's talking about this in Luke chapter 12, and I want to read it to you from the message. It's a paraphrase of, of translations written by a guy named Eugene Peterson. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this. He says, what I'm trying to do here when I'm talking about money and resources, what you give to me, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. Not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, they really fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. So then steep yourself in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. You'll find all your, he- your everyday human concerns will be met. Don't be afraid of missing out. You are my dearest friends, Jesus says. The Father wants to give you the very kingdom itself. Be generous, he says. Give to the poor. Get yourselves a bank that can't go bankrupt. That would be nice. Where is that? He says, it's a bank in heaven. 
far from bank robbers, safe from embezzlers, a bank you can bank on. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. You may recognize that last verse better from an NIV or a KJV or whatever you got. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. You see, she dropped her treasure. She let go. She emptied her hands. And then there's nothing left to do but surrender to his ways, to whatever he wants. It's such a measuring stick for what's going on in our lives, our financial resources and how we treat them. And Jesus says this, and it's his most talked about subject. It is the most talked about subject in the Bible, giving and possessions. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I can measure faith by your treasure. I can see faith by your treasure. But understand this. Jesus is not trying to get into your pocket. He's trying to get into your heart. That's why he challenges us to give. The Father knows what you need. He cares for you. Jesus said he's good to those who wait for him. He's good to those who seek him. He's especially good to those who seek his kingdom and his purposes first. Because his kingdom and his purposes are the only thing that will last. They are the only things that you can trust. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, the Apostle Paul says this, Hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Look at this again. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you know this now, but there are some people who, while a, someone is talking, while someone like me is giving a talk, not just in church, but in other places, in order to help them remember, they draw out the talk. Someone showed my wife recently uh, from my talk a couple weeks ago what they, what they drew, and it's, it was kind of amazing. So I drew out for you Romans chapter 5. I'm not an artist, but here it is. Isn't this beautiful? We're going to put it on the fridge later on. We won't be able to open the door, but we're going to put it on the fridge. Say, how is this Romans 5? Romans 5, he has poured out his love into our hearts. Everyone gets the same amount. There is nothing that you can do as a follower of Jesus Christ to cause God to love you less Nothing you can do to make him love you less. That's good news. That was worth coming. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. Everyone gets the same amount. And how we give is a measure of how we feel about that. Of the faith that we really have in that truth of God's love. Richard Stearns, the president of World Vision, He says, if you look at churches in the typical church, and this would be true of us as well, if you look at people, the average person in the church gives 2% back to God. 2%. I love our gift offering because it's about potential. It's about what if. 
It's about what could happen in our community, in our country, in our world. And a whole lot more could happen if God's people would respond with more than this. And I want you to understand, I'm not knocking this. I'm just showing it to you. Now, if you were raised in church like I was, from the time of Abraham, you know that Christ followers have had an expectation that they give a little bit more than this. And it's a percentage. Not 2%, but rather, you can say it if you know it, 10%. See, I used graph paper and everything. You're not appreciating how incredible this art is. Okay? There's blue. Some of you in the back can't see it. There's blue lines here and everything. And I colored this myself. I counted the blocks myself. Thank you. 10%. I got one person clapping on the front. Thank you very much. I'll sign it for you at the end. The, uh, so, <laughs> 10%. And this is amazing. If somebody's giving 10% of their resources, I mean, Billy Graham talked years ago about what could happen if everyone in the church were giving 10% of their resources back to God. I mean, we would be able to take care of everything this community needed, not only what the church wanted to do, but a lot of what our government leaders wanted to do, we would be able to kind of foot the bill for that. Really and truly, if the people of God were to get serious about 10%. But the idea is this, there's still a lot of space here in the edges. You see, the Old Testament kind of takes us to 10%. That gets carried on different places in the New. But Jesus, really what he teaches is that it all belongs to God. And the only person who gives it all back is this lady from Luke chapter 21. So what are we supposed to do with this? in order to move from when all else fails, I trust Jesus, to because he never fails, I will put my hope and my trust in God. How can we apply our giving in such a way that it moves us further in our discipleship journey? Thanks for coming and asking. I'll let you know. Second Corinthians chapter 9, the Apostle Paul says this. Here's the point. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now understand this. I'm from a family of farmers on my dad's side. You cannot break the law of sowing and reaping no matter how hard you try. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. And the Apostle Paul is talking about our giving. And then he says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful Giver. So sh- let, me, let me show you this. This is where you begin. This is where everybody begins with full hearts from the love of God. Now, what is God saying to you that you could give back? The Apostle Paul doesn't give us a percentage. He says, I'm not setting an expectation on this. He says, let God put it in your heart. Let God put in your heart what you would like to do and see what happens. There are so many promises on giving. There's so many great things. There's so many other talks on giving we could give and and talk about what God does. And I'm not talking about if you give, God's gonna make you rich. It's it's nothing like that. But I can guarantee you this from the scriptures, you will never outgive God. 
But then the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, he gives us a challenge here. He says, but since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Paul's writing to a church that's doing pretty well. And he's telling them, you are inspiring giving in other people. You're inspiring giving in other churches. One of my favorite things about Hope for Christmas is that other churches do it with us next Saturday. And most of them are smaller churches. And a lot of them have required our help in order to get off the ground. And some of them will require our help for them to resource the families that are going to come into their buildings and who we're hoping find a family in their congregation. Because you got to understand, we don't do hope for Christmas so that we can just pat everybody on the head and say, hey, see you next year. We know you needed a little help. You might need it again next year. We'll see you again. Merry Christmas. But rather we do hope for Christmas because we want the people who walk in these doors to understand that we would like for them to be a part of the family of God at this church. You are welcome here in this place. That's what we want them to understand. And so our generosity is helping that grow. Church, we're doing a great job. Westridge, you're a generous church. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the apostle Paul says, and this is something you still need to grow in. You grow in everything. You, you, you're in a, a group maybe. You're growing in your understanding of God. Your prayer life is growing. Your marriage is getting healthy. You're getting free from addiction. You're All of these things are growing. And the Apostle Paul says, grow in this also. And as you grow in giving, your walk with Jesus is sure to grow as well. Because it will move you from wherever you are in your faith journey. From when all else fails, I'll trust Jesus, to because he never fails. In the circumstances I'm in in my life right now, I know that I can trust Jesus that he's working all things for good for me and I will be able to say I overwhelmingly conquer through Jesus Christ. But there's one other place where as you continue to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ and and giving and, and wherever else, there is another place to get to. And I want you to understand that some of you were raised in the church, you've been giving 10% since you were getting $5 as an allowance as a 10 year old. And that has become a religious check-the-box thing for you. And I just want to say to you today, let the Spirit of God move. Let Him decide. It's not my place to tell you. Is that the cap for you? Where God has said, I want you to excel in this, to grow in the grace of giving. Are you regularly thinking, annually, whatever it might be, is this the time for me to grow in giving back to God? There's another kind of faith that captured my heart this week, even in my own personal time, separate from preparing a talk for all of you today. This, this came to me. I was reading in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 3. I don't know if you know the story. The people of Israel are in exile. There's a Babylonian king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. He's brought all the healthy, talented, smart guys, particularly to Babylon. He saw this guy named Daniel who's really a great, smart, handsome guy, the scriptures say. And he sees these other three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And and along with Daniel, he puts them in charge over a lot of different things. They are 
head leaders in his government, in his kingdom. And he says, okay, so here's what we're going to do. He's made these plans apart from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, I'm going to make an idol. And when music plays, I want everyone to bow down to this idol because when you bow down to this idol, it's like you're bowing down to me. I mean, this is Luke chapter 20 on steroids. Talk about pretension. Talk about it's all about me. So the music plays and everyone bows down. Why would people do that? Oh, by the way, if you don't, stage right, there is a fiery furnace. And if you don't worship when I tell you to worship, you're going to be thrown in the furnace. Thank you for coming to my service. And so the music plays and everyone bows down except for three guys. Daniel wasn't there. He must have been somewhere else. Three guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these Hebrew boys who have been renamed in Babylon, they don't bow down. Nebuchadnezzar said, these are my guys. I mean, they, they must not understand this. So he brings them to him, and he is angry, but he figures, if I look at them nose to nose, eye to eye, face to face, if, if we have a conversation, if I remind them about the furnace, they, it, they will get it. They'll bow down. So he has the conversation, an angry king with these three guys. And here's their response. They say this in Daniel chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. I love these guys. But... If you really want us to bow down, we'll bow down. That's not how the story goes, is it? But if you make the furnace really hot, we'll bow down. But that's not what they do. You need to underline this. You need to highlight this. You need to put it on your fridge. He says this, but even if he, that would be God, but even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Can I tell you, there is another level to get to in your walk with Christ. And it's the one that they demonstrate to us. It's a powerful faith. It's one that will never let you down. It's even if he doesn't faith. Even if he doesn't heal the cancer. Even if he doesn't save the child. Even if he doesn't meet my need. This is their faith in Daniel chapter 3. And here we stand on this side of the resurrection where can I tell you something he already has. So we can have even if he doesn't faith. She gave all that she had. She gave all that she had to live on. She emptied her hands. And she's totally surrendered to the God that she's giving her offering to. What's your next step? How is God pulling you further along today? Is it in strengthening regular giving that will strengthen your heart and your faith over and over again? Is it in trusting him through something else, an unanswered prayer that's been nagging at you over and over and over again, been going on for years maybe. 
move from. When all else fails, I'll try Jesus. Trust Jesus. To because he never fails, I will trust him. To even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. He's my God. And that's enough. Would you bow your heads with me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're a believer of Jesus in here today, I don't know how the Spirit of God may be moving in your heart, speaking to you more and differently than I ever could. Maybe He is challenging you to begin to give regularly. Some of you would say, you're putting percentages up there. You know, we try to do a budget at home, but honestly, I don't, I don't really know percentage of what I give to anything. Just start somewhere. You cannot have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ without beginning to trust him with your finances. So maybe in this moment, you say, God, okay, I'm going to begin to pray about a number, a monthly number. Maybe it's a percentage. Maybe it's just, you know what, God, 10 bucks, 25 bucks, 50 bucks. I'm just going to, I'm just going to put you right at the center. I'm going to give that to you first because I'm learning to trust you, God. For some of you in here, you're, you're well beyond that conversation with God, but there are other tough issues you're dealing with. Can I challenge you? to ask God to give you even if he doesn't faith. If you're here today, you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not trying to get into your pocket. He's trying to get into your heart. You may have stayed out of church for all kinds of different reasons. Maybe you were looked down on before. Maybe you had some type of misperception, whatever it might be. I tell you, the God of the universe loves you and he has given the ultimate gift for you and his only son. If you right now want to pray and reach out to him, pray for salvation, you can pray like this, God, I come before you right now believing that everything that's ever been said about Jesus is for me. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins And he's risen from the dead that I could live a different kind of life, an abundant life. God, I take hold of that now, not understanding it all completely, but I take hold of it. Help me, God, to grow from where I am right now to where you want me to be. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you prayed to receive Christ today, would you please take the card that you received when you were coming in with the Christmas announcements on it? There's a tear out on the edge of that. If you would fill it out, let us know that you prayed to put your faith and trust in Christ today. Take it to our help center. We'd love to help you get started in your journey with Jesus. God, we are your people. You have blessed us as a church. We try to do what we can around here out of the abundance that you have given to us. May we continue to grow individually and corporately in generosity and in faith before you. In Christ's name, amen.